0: the super genius mark madden
1: hey mark yeah hi mark big fan it's double M, let me hear you woo I woo. Hi, well then you ain't talking bitch
0: DX at 105.9 filling in for mark madden today i'm Dan kovach of dkpittsburghsports.com. sports.com joined now as mark always is this time of week by the one the only stan savern sponsored by shenderovich shenderovich and fishman they have got your back not your wallet hi stan hey dan how you doing I don't have any complaints, Stan. A little. Well, let, let's get into something that's a little more serious well, first. You here, can't,
1: you uh, can't host a talk show if you have nothing to complain about.
0: <laughs> you can't
1: call one. You can't be on one. Yeah, you can't
0: that, even listen to that one. Is, that is a fair point. Let's <laughs> let, let's 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 pick up something that, that's a, a serious matter first. Stan to passing, uh, the, the Chicago Blackhawks. Great. Uh, it's almost unusual to to talk about or To ponder hockey greats or stars from the past because that was in an era when there was just the six teams and stars were so scarce especially in the united states but did his name still rise above in the in, in our country
1: well i you know i think you have to be of a certain age uh, mm-hmm. I, I think um, people recognize Hall of Famers, of course, and it was just pointed out to me when news of his passing came about that he scored the first hat trick ever against the Penguins when they came hmm. in, into existence. So there's a bit of uh, Penguin trivia for you on, uh, on Sid's birthday. Um, it, it was such a different era because uh, not only were stars at a premium, Dan, as you know, but scoring was at a premium. Uh, you know, and, and frankly, we're back to that now. It would seem, uh, you know, the, until Bobby Hall, the flat-bladed uh, sticks, uh, and you know all those kinds of things. Um, he wasn't a big man by comparison, really, by any era. No, he was kind of small. Five,
0: nine, 161 at his peak.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, you know, we we would look at Theo Fleury and say, uh, okay, you know. he He's a giant, um, and so it's such a different game, and the way the game was played uh, was different. Um, I, again, I don't have a strong recollection, frankly, of, of hockey uh, in the '60s. Uh, but it just seemed to me that you had to be good or better at many facets of the game. It wasn't specialized like it is today. You can get by with a lot of things if you've got a wicked shot, um, or if you're a big six foot four, two 200- hundred. Forty-pound defensive who can knock people around. Uh, I think you got to be better at more things back in that era of hockey.
0: Turning our attention to the present day, and that, that is where we'll start filing complaints here. The Pirates, of course, are four and seven since that eleven-game winning streak. A two-nothing dud last night in Denver. Uh, Stan, is this pretty much it? I mean, you look at the standings right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it is. I, I don't. I won't. I won't say that as of today, but I will say it as of next week. Uh, when they return home, uh, I think anybody reasonable expected there was going to be a cooling off period. You don't win 11 games in a row without paying a price at the other end. The question is, how big of a price do you pay? I told people that when they went five in a row, eight in a row, 11 in a row, they'll cool down. The question is, you don't want to get to a point where you have undone all the good that you did. Uh, I don't think we're there yet. When they were four and five, I thought, okay, okay. That's reasonable. I mean, you can't go two and seven, but now that it's seven out of 11, that's bad luck, uh, and it can't continue. Uh, the problem that they're going to have is that they're on the road, they're going against two teams that are fighting for their playoff lives, 22 of their next 24. Are against teams that are very much alive and in contention, um, and it's going to be difficult to, to to not lose ground, let alone gain it in in that time frame. I think they're better. I love the pickup of Echeverria, uh, but I just I just I don't think they're going to make it. But you know what? I said that after the 11-game winning streak. There are just too many teams involved. They're now five and a half behind the second wild card, chasing four other teams, not to mention the Braves, who have the second wild card. You know, unless they run off another you know 10-game win streak, which, again, because of who they're playing, is unlikely. Um, I don't see it, uh, but I didn't see it. Uh, after the 11 game. Well, yeah, that's, either.
0: Uh, that's one of the things we've been talking about throughout this show. Really, the theme has been, you know, were the trades worth it? Is that There seems to have been a perception that these moves were made as some kind of all-in thing. When you think about all-in, that's that's usually rentals. You know, it's usually guys that were brought in for that year. But these guys, uh, Chris Archer, Kayon Keller, they're here for four years. Yeah, I think that
1: is very significant. Uh, when the trades were made. Um, yeah, they were designed to make them better, uh, you know, for 2018, but I don't think Huntington makes the trades if they're rentals. Uh, I mean, I, I really don't. I think that he was very selective. He got air, people in areas he thought he needed help, no question about that, but they're also going to play significant roles in 2019, 20, and maybe 21 in Archer's case. I think that may have been the case with Echeveria. Now, he can become an unrestricted free agent, but... If you assume that they're going to let Jordy Mercer go and probably Josh Harrison, maybe he's a guy um, signable It certainly would improve their interior defense. Maybe he's a guy they thought they could keep around here for 2019. So, yeah, I think, Dan, they were going to take a shot at this year. Why not? They were close to the wild card. I still think it was a long shot. But they're not going to be any worse for wear in 2019 because they added Archer and Kellogg.
0: Now, the Pirates have all kinds of motivations for making these trades, not least of which is what we just discussed, baseball trades. Is, was there more to it? I mean, you know, realistically, when you look at it, they had a lot to gain in another sense, just from the perception sense, didn't they?
1: Yeah, because they had lost almost everything because of that exact same perception sense. People felt they didn't want to win, or they didn't weren't going to do everything they possibly could uh, to win. And I think a lot of fans were saying... Um, how can you expect us to invest, forget about financially, how can you expect us to invest emotionally when you're not willing to invest uh, the same as we? you want us to? I do think there was an element of that. They're aware of the perception. They're certainly aware of the precipitous attendance drop. I think that was going to happen anyway because, you know, they hadn't made the playoffs, but there was more to it than that. So, yeah, I think that drove it somewhat. Uh, I think they've always promised, you know, um, when it – Came time, they would do something. I do think that there has been somewhat of a common misconception. I saw a story um, quoting Andrew McCutcheon, who said, Well, I guess they uh, wanted to change the way they do business. Um, That actually is not factual. They added in 13, they added in 14, they added in 15. Their mistake was, is not maintaining after 15. That's what got people angry after 98 wins. But they now, they may not have added the right people. They may not have added enough people to get where they wanted to go, but they did add.
0: Yeah, uh, they, they added, too, Stan. I, I, I think that one of the things that stands out about this one is that, this was the star move in baseball at the deadline. Yeah. So the the perception level of it just elevates that much further. Do you know what I mean? Including for someone like Kutch from afar, you know, because they're all watching the deadline, and go, Whoa, Pirates stole the show? Where was that when I was there?
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly you know what he meant, but I, I think that his his memory's a little bit faulty. Again, he may not have thought they added enough, uh, or, or even the right people that they did add. Although, hey, when they added Bird and when they added Mornome, I mean, those were good, you know, additions. Uh, you know, when they added Hap, the problem was not keeping him, but he certainly performed well while he was here. Um, but I do think you're right, and I think not only were the pirates active, um, and I think the past was forgotten a bit there. But let's face it, Archer was probably the number one starting pitching commodity still available. And there were multiple, shall we say, higher-profile franchises who were sniffing around that the Pirates apparently had the best package to offer to get in return. I think that's what stunned people. They didn't just get a starter. They got, and I'm not saying he's Tom Seaver, but they got the best starter available at the time.
0: Stan Savran, of course, is my guest. Stan, uh, word out of Latrobe today that the Steelers quarterback order Thursday night in Philadelphia will, well, first of all, Ben won't play, obviously. You're going to see Landry Jones first, and then Josh Dobbs, who's been getting a lot of reps lately, and then Mason Rudolph. And what I want to ask you about is if this will be the most watched fourth quarter in preseason history around here in a long time. Maybe the Steelers
1: are in concert or in cahoots with KDK. Nice. Uh, Nicely
0: played, Mr. Saverin.
1: Or, to be fair, the Steelers radio network, just to bring it home.
0: We're just going to give Pomp all the credit for this, right? All right, or Charlie okay. Batch, uh, you know.
1: Um, yeah, I, I, you know what? I kind of think that in all sports, there's kind of a pecking order. Dobbs is a veteran, not much of one, uh, but I kind of think this is a pay-on to say, okay, this is your second year here. This kid is still bringing donuts to the quarterback meetings on Saturday morning, so we'll play it that way. Um, I don't think there's any question that the best job josh Dobbs can hope for is that he sprains a pinky and goes on scholarship if he wants to stay around here unless there's an injury somewhere we kind of know how this is going to play out but I kind of think that this first game um, and who knows maybe they figure by that time that they want Mason Rudolph to have a comfortable outing and by that time uh, the people playing for the Eagles are going to be back in groceries in two weeks so maybe they think that that's you know that's a <laughs> that's better <not> <laughs> matchup you know hey no that, I don't mean to be cruel because I admire all these guys but you know that's No, that's
0: that's the reality that there's still no minor leagues for football so you're either in the NFL or you're you know doing what stan just said uh what about Rudolph uh, how, I mean how how much are we going to overinflate everything that he does because I'll tell you what I'm going to be guilty I I the idea of watching a potential and again this isn't to put him ahead of where he actually is but the potential and I underscore that successor to Ben Roethlisberger, um, yeah, I mean, there's some added, there's some added juice there.
1: Well, nobody says this when you draft a guard, right, right. Um, the third round, um, or uh, Okorafor or anything like that, although he's Okorafor is liable to get more playing time than Mason Rudolph will this season. Right,
0: with all the absences, right.
1: Sure, and, and you know, hey, listen, if you're down to your third-string quarterback, the chances are your season's done anyway if something happens to Ben. Uh, I, I, I'm anxious to see him play, I mean, we all saw him play against Pitt. Unfortunately for him, this won't be the Pitt secondary that he's throwing against. No. Um, and The other thing I'm looking for, I wondered, and I don't think this is going to be the case, I don't know, I wondered, Dan, if he does well enough, would they actually consider moving Landry Jones and saying we think Rudolph is ready to fill in for Ben. Now, if something happens to Ben, I mean, Landry probably gets maligned too much, but he is what he is. Um, so if something happens to Ben, their Super Bowl dreams are probably up in smoke anyway. Um, but I just wonder if they're going to decide now that we're just going to ride this out. Landry leaves at the end of this year as a free agent. We don't re-sign him. Rudolph moves up to number two. Dobbs comes off the scholarship list and is our our number three. Um, uh, Or if they thought that Rudolph did well enough in preseason, would they try to deal?
0: Yeah, see, I I think that's a fair thing to to, to posit here. It's funny because I think a couple of weeks ago both of us would have probably thought we were nuts to even bring it up. But Here's Rudolph out there. He's performing really well. Just his poise is off the charts. But there's something that that caught my attention, Stan. Uh, and Kevin Colbert uh, has been doing interviews at Latrobe, and he keeps referring to Rudolph as having uh, all is already being ahead of where they expected. Mm. Now you've dealt with Kevin enough to know he says things like that never. Okay, I mean, he, he doesn't like to assess, certainly not a rookie or rookie progress. Uh, Mike Tomlin really hates to do that sort of thing. But even for Colbert to suggest it um, leads me to believe that they might be a little bit happier with him than even they had expected.
1: Yeah, It's totally possible, although Tomlin at the press conference said today, um, he's done a really good job, talking about Rudolph, he's done a really good job, comma, but he hasn't been hit yet. Uh, So, you know, they don't get hit up there. Um, he'll get hit in Philadelphia if they get to him. And if he's playing in the you know the last quarterback, you can imagine what that offensive line is going uh, mean, to. They perform <laughs> well, but you know you understand you know uh, who your your protection. All, right, is.
0: all those grocery baggers are going to be coming <laughs> after him. <That's> it.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're going to be grabbing like grocery uh, grabbing cans of peas off the top shelf. Uh, so I mean you know they're waiting to see all that. It would be a gamble. But, again, um, if something were to happen to, to Ben, you're in big trouble anyway. I'm not talking about two weeks. I'm talking about a six-, eight-week thing if something should happen. Um, and, I mean, Landry has experience. Um, you know, would that be enough to keep him around? They could certainly use the cap space. And who knows? Look, there are going to be teams. They're going to lose quarterbacks in the preseason. Uh, Landry Jones, even in the last year of his contract, might be somewhat tra-
0: attractive. You know, uh, it, it's it's not easy to bring up hockey in early August. There's not a whole lot going on. You did mention earlier you made a reference to Sidney Crosby being turning 31 years old today. and I'm, I'm curious to hear, because you've watched over the years great players, truly great players, the Lemus, the Yagers, adjust their games once they got to a certain age level. And I'm wondering, what, what do you think Sid will look like if you will, in the second half of his career, what can he adjust? What can he do differently?
1: Well, yeah, I think differently is the key. I don't know what he can do better, uh, right? You know, he excels at <laughs> it so much. Um, I, I honestly think that a lot of that is going to depend on who his line mates are. Hmm. Um, I, I think that uh, you know, we always ask, you know, um, it's going to, there's going to come a time um, where we're going to have to. Change things up. Ask not what Sid can do for you. Ask what you can do for Sid. To paraphrase the famous JFK line. Uh, I mean, I, obviously he's going to slow down some. I don't know that he has, um, but that's a lot of games. He's been here, uh, you know, uh, since he's 18 years of age. Um, I think a lot's going to depend on the kind of wingers that they uh, they put him with. Uh, I think that a lot of his game might be better served, for example, um, to let somebody else pursue the puck. Um, And and I think that if he plays in front of the net, you get a little bit more punishment there. But it also, I think, limits... you know the the skating that you have to do. I don't think you're ever going to see him not back check. I mean that's that's the hardest skating there is. It's one thing to float up on a three on two skating hard. It's quite another to dig deep and get back there. Right, right. Uh, he'll he'll always give that that kind of effort.
0: I I love this answer because I'm picturing as you're saying this. The remember the Sid and the kids line. Yeah. And I remember vividly before a game in Edmonton. When I asked Sid a question about all three of those guys being fast, uh, and of course I'm referring to uh, Jake Gensel and Connor Sheary, and Sid's response was, "Man, I'm just trying to keep up." And it was the fir- <laughs> it was the first time I think he acknowledged that it was actually kind of cool for him to be out there with two guys that are just buzzing, you know.
1: Uh, no, no doubt, and I mean, I, you know, he knows that, um, and you know, he's uh, he's elevated his game where he's just good at everything and right. you, you'll remember the day when he first came here he was a bad face-off
0: guy oh yeah he
1: was terrible mm-hmm. he was also if you'll recall a bad um uh, shootout guy he, he wasn't good at it
0: he had one move he would just go five hole every time yeah yep.
1: And and you see how he's adapted. He's such a student of the game. Um, I, I do think that uh, a lot of that is uh, he's going to play his game. But I do think that even though he, you know, like for example on the power play, uh, as long as he's together with Malkin, Malkin is better on the half wall. He's better down low. We we you know might see more of that when they're playing five on five.
0: Outstanding stuff as always, Mr. Savern. Appreciated. Thanks, DK. I'll talk to you. All right. When we come back, we're going to be joined. By the guy who's been here all along. He can't really be joined by somebody if they've already been there. And that's Bob McLaughlin, our producer for our Mike with Bob segment. I'm Dan Kovacevic filling in for Mark Madden. You're listening to 105.9 The X.